the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. I'm Sally Gentry. And we appreciate you tuning in, listening in. Lots happening on this episode of The Gifted Life. For example, we're going to talk about echo. Every community has an opportunity. You'll want to tune in. And you'll also hear about Minority Outreach and National Minority Donor Awareness Week. And in the family support segment, we're going to answer the question, or try to, why we blame ourselves when many times you hear a family member asking, you know, why did this happen? Or if I had only done this, or what if I had done something differently? Ah, So Good to know. We'll also honor a hero as we do in every podcast, and we take your questions. Uh, We pour a lot of our heart into each episode because our main goal is to save lives through donation, to spread awareness. And you, you listening, you right there, you can help us. Subscribe in. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. And you know, it's easy. You can share it. You just got to press that little button and send it to your friends like you can send it uh, to your buddies, Joe. And Make sure they tune in. <laughs> yes, people listen from across the world, which we like. And we want to keep our numbers growing so we can do that. Also, we're on um, Facebook. So a lot of what we talk about, you'll see there, Donate Life Louisiana. Also, Twitter and Instagram, at Donate Life LA. We try to be uh, easy to find and user-friendly. So look for us. But you can also give us a call. Yes. I know. At 504-648-3477. And we may even play your message on the podcast. So please call in. She's got that number down, Joe. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So much to get to here on The Gifted Life. Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, we are so excited because we're bringing partners in. Our main goal is to make life happen, and we're going to tell you how we're doing that together. Uh, I want to bring in Lopa's Director of Public Relations and Education, Kirsten Hines, who plays a big role in this podcast behind the scenes, but we're calling her up to the mic. Hey, Kirsten. Hey, Lori. It's kind of nice to have the mic on for a change. (laughs) I know. Well, uh, we saw some of what you did at Transplant Games. We love how uh, you're so passionate about donation, and so it's only right that that you're here. So, Kirsten, you and I have made a new friend. We love her. Her name's Amanda Hallowell, and she has lots of titles. Amanda, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. With LifeLink of Georgia, their education specialist. Um, She's also in multicultural donation education there, and she's the Czech chair for AMAT, which is the Association for Multicultural Affairs in Transplantation. So, Amanda, you're just busy. Yeah, you know, but it's, you know, it's a good thing. It's all circular, I swear to God. There you go. Well, and it's all this one goal, making life happen, which is what we do here in Louisiana. We'd love to hear uh, what other folks are doing as well. So, um, Kirsten, we were talking about ECHO, and that's what we want Amanda to shed some light on, right? Yes. Amanda, I know that this is kind of a new initiative for AMAT and Donate Life America. I believe this is the second year, correct? Correct. Correct. So tell us about ECHO. So ECHO is 
is every community has an opportunity. So it's one of those awesome little acronyms that actually is in action. And last year we went more of a social media um, aspect, which is we wanted to, to make it more inclusive, that everyone can share a story about donation and everyone should encourage everyone about registering to be organized tissue donors. So last year we shared hopeful stories, we did um, social media hashtags, and then a lot of us who were out in the field, um, we did some really cool things where you there was a speech bubble that said, I'm a donor, echo me. So people would cut that out and take pictures with it, and then you would post it, kind of like how they do that Instagram frame now on social media. Last year was very much more of like an awareness campaign and getting people really engaged with what we were trying to um, create there for, for our first year out. So what's new for this year? So um, there are a lot of great things that are new this year, which we're excited about. But the best one is that we're offering a video contest. Um, so when you go to donatelife.net slash backslash echo, there is um, some information on there about how you can enter a video um, about what your story is about donation. And then, you know, we all judge it, and you're able to um, qualify for a prize from Donate Life America, which they have great, like, tchotchkes, so. <laughs> and we all like that. We like to go with that. Uh, the One of the main things that I saw was reiteration and repetition seems to be working, and that's kind of what we're pushing in this campaign. Correct. What's so awesome about this campaign, one, it's during the summer, um, because, you know, we and, and the LPO and the donation community, April is Donate Life Month, and we just go so hard for that month that then there's, there's this little lull that happens <laughs> right. over the summer. So with ECHO being um, activated, it was really cool to get those people engaged. You know, you can go out to summer camps. You can do so many great things with this initiative and just get really people talking about it and echoing you about the positive message about donation. I like that. Every community has opportunity. I love that. Correct. Echo. All right. So pay more attention for that. And hey, we have some stars here in Louisiana. These um, videos you're talking about, uh, we've already started doing that. So that's that's great. I want to win a prize, Amanda. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so what else is going on? I know there's an anniversary, 20th anniversary you were talking about as well. Yeah. So under um, Ramona Chapman's Hill out of uh, good old Detroit, um, AMAT has been extremely aggressive. So we have our great new partnership with DLA and ECHO. We have a long-standing partnership with uh, National MOTEP for National Minority Donor Awareness Week. And what's bigger about it this year is that um, it's the 20th anniversary. So in 1996, it started under Dr. Clive Callender, National MOTEP with HRSA as a um, one-day event for National Minority, Minority Donor Awareness Day. And here we are 20 years later um, still doing outreach in those communities and uh, celebrating those anniversaries. So this is, it's a big year for, for just for this topic because you would say uh, National Minority Donor Awareness Week is the predecessor to ECHO. They started the conversation. Wow, 20 years. And we know, we push this too here in Louisiana, everyone has the power to make a difference. And we love to see how different people do it, different people, different talents, uh, but all working towards that one goal. And that's what you're seeing, right? Correct. And so this year, you know, ECHO is more of the, the broader community at large. Um, with National Minority Donor Awareness Week, we're going to create more of a faith space so people can see what it really means, right? So lately, you know, with the news and all that good stuff, it's been a lot of topics of race and color, but there's levels to this. And there's a section, you know, there's a cross-section, especially in the transplantation community, of just because they're African-American, they can be African-American and Muslim, or they could be, you know, Baptist or Christian and all those good things. But what we're trying to say is, and our tagline for this initiative is, all faiths believe in saving lives. 
and that's what we're really talking about. So for the first week of August through August 1st through the 8th, we're really trying to, we're pushing a media kit. Um, we're pushing a hashtag of NMDAW20, um, and we'll have a link, a specialized link that everyone can go through, and we're sharing um, donor family stories of the multicultural perspective um, rather than the recipient side. So that's probably that's probably the biggest difference between the two initiatives and what's really uh, more finite. So we're also going to speak heavily about living donation because living donation is one of the um, more participatory uh, transplantations for multicultural. Wow. Well, I love it. I love that you have the media kit ready to go. We want them to pick up on this story and to share. Uh, but remember, you have the power to share as well on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We want you to take um, what has been done and then to spread that in your community. You have the power to make that difference. So AMAT, the number one, dot org for more information. Um, what else, Amanda? Uh, I know you have lots, well, lots happening, but AMAT, the number one, dot org is where they can find um, a lot of information. We talked about the video contest. We talked about what's coming up. Um, what do you want people to know? You know, you can go to our website, so you can download all your information about ECHO at our website. Um, we'll also have up July 18th as our release date for um, National Minority Donor Awareness Week packet, so you'll get that information there. And then you'll also notice that it is our 24th annual conference, and we are in New Jersey. And we're super excited about this. It's September 27th through the 30th of um, this year. We have clinical, we have educational, we have marketing. I mean, there are so many different um, ways that you can get engaged in this conference and take some tools home um, if you're in the transplantation community, if you're just a volunteer or a donor family or just someone who's engaged. It's open to the public. So we really want people to get out there and get as much information as possible because everyone has that chance to be the gift. And Amanda, I can tell you from being a host state two years ago, we had a great time with the AMAT crew. We did the conference in New Orleans uh, two years ago, right. and it was phenomenal. <laughs> Just good people. Yeah. yeah, good people. Oh, yeah. love it. I think the thing that we love most about is that um, in the last two years, we've added the clinical side. So it's really cool to see, like, um, hospital development people, liaison and transplant coordinators come in and talk. Um, and get engaged and, and, and get some education. You know, it's, you, you can never learn enough. Like, there's always room to learn and grow. <laughs> All right. Well, Amanda, you make it fun. Obviously, you're a wealth of information. We appreciate you taking the time um, in your busy schedule. But AMAT, the number one dot org, you can go and download information. She talked about that video contest. So donatelife.net backslash echo. Get involved today. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking about National Minority Donor Awareness Week and to fill us in on what's happening, uh, the stats behind this, why this is so important. We've invited Brandy Ahansi to join us. She's the Public Affairs Coordinator with LifeLink Foundation, and she is out of Tampa. Hey, Brandy. Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. Ah, oh, well, we love when our partners join us. We know how busy you guys are, and we just love what you're doing, and we want to help spread the word. So uh, this podcast is really the best way to do that. And I want to start with what um, we have coming up. So National Minority Donor Awareness Week. Why, Miss Brandy, is that so important this week? Yes, definitely. Uh, observed every year. The first week of August, it was originally a day, and so now it's a whole week. So we're very, very excited about that, and uh, it's very important uh, as far as getting information out to the African-American population about organ and tissue donation because there's so many 
misconceptions. I remember even when I started my job here at LifeLink, I was talking to my vice president. I asked her, you know, why are you honing in specifically on African Americans? And her response was, we are the ones who need donations the most, but we are the least likely to give. Yes. So when you think about that, it's like, okay, Definitely, you need to be able to educate individuals in this population. And also, after you form that rapport and get them to trust you and understand the process, that's very important, then make that decision to save lives and share your decision with others. That's very important. So do you have any stats as far as um, wait list for minorities and what it is that we're talking about? Because we can say it, but when we back it up with facts, um, I think more people listen. Definitely, definitely. Uh, on www.unos.org, that's the United Network for Organ Sharing, it reports that there are currently more than 120,000 Americans awaiting a transplant. And of that 120,000, 58% are ethnic minorities. Of that 120,000, 30% are black. Last year, 6,903 people lost their lives waiting for a transplant. 48% of them were ethnic minorities, and 25% of them were black. So it's very important, just as my vice president said, we're not giving, as far as blacks in America is concerned, we're not giving. And unfortunately, sometimes we're actually dying, waiting for that life-saving gift that people can give after they're dead and gone, and they, they can't use those organs anymore. So have we done any research as to the why behind those numbers, and then how are we trying to turn that around? So, most of the research, uh, at least that I've done, uh, has been informal because people are very vocal when you go out into the communities to talk about this topic. Um, but talking about from a historical standpoint, distrust amongst the medical community as a whole mm-hmm. is very great in the African-American community, and it dates back to slavery times and experiments that were being done in the name of science. Um, And the most, probably the most cited occurrence was the Tuskegee syphilis study, Mm -hmm. which took place um, in Alabama, and it was conducted for 40 years. Uh, I believe it was a study of 600. They started with 600 uh, black men, some of them who were infected with syphilis, some who weren't. And They uh, were provided free medical exams, free meals, and burial insurance if they participated in this study. Um, But those individuals who were infected with syphilis, they did not receive penicillin after it was found to be effective to cure syphilis in its early stages. So people were dying, and they had the cure, and it was withheld. So that study uh, is actually brought up a lot when Mm -hmm. I'm out and about something else that's discussed, and I don't know if this applies to the entire country or all ethnicities, but there's a saying in southern black households, and again, I'm I'm coming from uh, Florida, I'm a a Floridian, Mm -hmm. uh, born and raised here, and it's what goes on in our house stays in our house. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that secretive behavior is also causing people to lose their lives because they're not seeing individuals who look just like them 
who benefited from a transplant or whose family members have donated their organs of their loved ones. So if you don't see that, if you don't hear about that, if you don't talk about that at the dinner tables, then these myths about doctors are going to let you die or um, they're not going to, they're definitely not going to use organs of African Americans to help other African Americans. It will only be the white majority. When you hear things like that from people who you trust and who you love, it's very hard to combat that with the right. facts from a stranger. Even though you may have the same skin tone, you're still a stranger. So again, that's why it's important to, to build those relationships first, in my opinion, back it up with research. And even, you know, just from a realistic approach, I signed up because when I was young, my mom taught me the importance of giving back. We volunteered all the time. And this is just another form of giving back. You're dead and gone. There's nothing else that can be done to help save your life. So why not help someone else who's in need? Absolutely, Brandy. And this is Joey, uh, and, and we have, of course, you know, some of the similar challenges here in Louisiana. And, and I was wondering, so uh, what are you guys and what can we do to dispel some of these myths that, of course, are so deeply rooted, uh, you know, from, from a mistrust and everything that you mentioned for such a long time? Hey, Joey, um, definitely, I think with probably all of the programs in the United States, utilizing your volunteers, um, those personal stories, those experiences trump, from what I've seen at least, um, the facts and the statistics and, you know, all the research that you can present to individuals. Once they see someone whose life was saved because of an organ donor, then usually that's when the light bulb comes on and they want to learn more and hear more about their story. So definitely volunteers sharing their personal stories, their experiences has helped a lot in our area. Also, um, definitely if there are any black uh, news outlets in your area, taking out advertisements and filling those advertisements with people who look like the readers of right. that publication, right. um, so they'll know, oh, well, I maybe I've seen this person in the grocery store, you know, or yeah. what have you, and they received a transplant? I didn't know that. Encouraging going out to uh, the faith communities, historically, uh, churches, faith communities have definitely been the cornerstone in African-American communities, so talking to these faith leaders and asking them for permission to talk to their congregations, uh, possibly have a health fair at their their houses of worship, um, having materials in their bulletins that they give out every week, and also being a constant presence. Because hearing that message one time, people can say, oh, okay, that's interesting, and let it go. But when you hear it several times, then definitely it begins to stick. I think, Joy, it's, it's right. worked uh, here in, the, in our service area in LifeLink, just building those connections. Also, um, working with organizations that have already been established. So we do a lot of work with um, predominantly black fraternities and sororities. Yeah. And in um, the black community, though fraternities and sororities, we always um, associate that with something that's done in college. But there are very strong 
graduate chapters for these predominantly black fraternities and sororities, and they do a whole lot of work in their communities even after they graduate from college. So definitely getting in with them. They already have an established following, people who trust them. Get that message into them, and they'll be really great advocates, i found. Awesome. And what I like is that you're here sharing what you have happening uh, there in Tampa and what you see across the country, and that's what we want to do is share these ideas, share these thoughts, uh, we're trying some of that out here in Louisiana as well. But tell us about these webinars and things that anybody who's listening can tune in and they can pick up more about what you've been talking about. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm also a member of the Association for Multicultural Affairs in Transplantation, AMAT for short. And the website is www.ama the number one.org. And there are actually several work groups uh, listed on that website for African Americans, uh, Asian Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, Hispanic Latino, and anyone who's interested in learning how to get the message of organ and tissue donation out into their communities is welcome to join any of those work groups. They can go on that website, www.amat1.org, click on the work group that they're interested in learning more about what they do and, and what they're offering the communities, and find out who the chair is. Send that person a quick email asking for information, date, time of their meetings, and I guarantee you we would love to have anyone, um, even if you're not a member of AMAT, participate in that work group because we feel like everyone has something to offer. Ah, Also, uh, definitely don't want people to get turned off. Sometimes if you hear, oh, well, that's the African-American work group. I can't join because I'm not African-American. We have a very diverse work group, and everything that everyone is doing is about saving lives. Yes. So it doesn't matter a person's ethnicity. Uh, we welcome everyone to join. One but mission. there are several webinars that all of the work groups have presented. Um, I know the Asian Pacific Islander, they recently did one that was amazing, um, just talking about like Buddhism and, and their belief system, uh, Hinduism and their belief system, and also the challenges that are faced with going into these belief systems and talking about organ and tissue donation. But again, if you go on that website, the www.amet1 dot org and all of our webinars the slides the audio it's found on that website good and brandy i just wanted to share with you and those that are listening uh, there is truth in what you speak especially using volunteers and those personal stories we know you said national minority donor awareness week it was one day then expanded into a week uh, when louisiana we kick off a little bit earlier because we have essence fest and that's the party with the purpose oh. you've heard you, you're going to have to come down a way to celebrate and it's uh, from a magazine aimed primarily towards african-american women but if you're from louisiana you'll know essence fest but uh, we have a lot of our volunteers coming out we have law enforcement officers we had folks who attended the transplant games all there telling their stories and we have folks registering every year hundreds because they were able to have a face-to-face hear personal stories about donations. So you're right, one person 
can make a difference. And we appreciate you joining us today, arming us with some information. And that's what it's all about, partnering and saving lives. We have reached the family service segment of the Gifted Life podcast, guys. And Sally, so often we hear uh, from families, they ask why. Why did this happen? You know, if I would have only done this, and it's as though they're really blaming themselves for their loved one's death. That's right, Joey. And many times the why comes after we talked about suicide. Many times people will just ask that question, how could this happen? Why did it happen? I I don't understand. I missed something here. But, you know, we also, in addition to that, we may question the what-ifs surrounding the death. But these are all questions that are usually associated with feelings of guilt, if only, or what if I had done something And according to bereavement literature, these feelings um, are usually associated with unfinished business with the deceased in general, or the perception that one could have done things differently. When the bottom line comes down to there's really many times nothing that anyone could have done to change the circumstances of what's happened. But, you know, sometimes, as I'm sure you're aware, that we say things or do things that hurt one another unintentionally. Many times we do and say things we later regret, and these past conversations are revisited when our loved one dies, whether it's real or imagined. And, you know, we'd like to forget our words along with actions, and we'd really like to take them back. But unfortunately, what we've done and said in the past can no longer be taken back. And often we feel helpless because with our guilt, there's little we can do or say to correct the situation. And to correct it, you'd have to have that, you know, direct personal relationship with the person, but but he or she is no longer here. But we can still ask forgiveness um, from someone who has died. And one of the techniques that therapists used is called the empty chair. And you'd be amazed at how that can really help people come to terms with the death of their loved one. And, you know, many people go, ah, it's just an empty chair. What, what could that really mean? But, you know, you get that opportunity to vision that loved one sitting there and saying, you know, here's what I wish I would have said, and here's what I, I wish I would have done, and I want you to forgive me. And that can be really powerful because it's, it's really the words that count and it's the thought that someone puts into it. So I missed a piece on the empty chair. Can you elaborate on that a little yeah, bit more? Certainly. Uh, and, and what happens is the person visualizes their loved one sitting in the chair and they express what she wishes that she had said, not said, had done to the particular individual. And even though there's no response, it's the asking that's important. Many things that happen within ourselves when we go through this particular situation is just talking through it. And that really right there makes a major difference for almost everyone that I know. But some helpful suggestions uh, might be if you feel guilty, it's important to be truthful about what your feelings are. And there you go again, talking to someone that you can trust. Uh, someone that will not judge you or blame you because you're you're doing a lot of this to yourself and you just need, you know, a, a bystander, if you will, that's willing to hear what you have to say. 
And, you know, you got to keep in mind, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all do and say things we later wish we had not said or done. But again, that's just part of who we are. And I think that there's um, really that no none of us can be perfect. And there's really no answer to these whys or what ifs or, you know, if only I had done that. I think it's really tormenting ourselves to go through it. So if it's something that you, you really feel that you could use some additional help with, then reach out to someone, reach out to a close friend, reach out to a professional that could help you get through this. And if uh, guilt is hindering your recovery, then go ahead, face up to it and spend some time with someone who can help you realize the outcome could be much more positive for you. That's good. And it's tough. I keep going back to remember you're human and no one is perfect. We have to put that to heart, right? Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Sally. You have something that you want Sally to um, touch on. You want her to explore a topic more. Info at lopa.org. It's a learning experience. As we do in every Gifted Life podcast, we like to honor a hero. And in today's episode, we'll be honoring Wayne Gomez. So here's his story. It's told by the family. March 2002, Wayne, or Little Wayne, as they called him, Gomez, lost his life at 16 years old. Parents were devastated with what they were now facing, saying goodbye to their precious son. The question of organ donation was brought up direct donation of his liver because a relative named James had been diagnosed with hepatitis C and was waiting on a liver. He was on the liver transplant waiting list. So James' life was saved thanks to Little Wayne. Little Wayne's parents and two sisters expressed that they wanted to share his story in hopes to somehow reach others and help families deal with loss. Organ donation is an extraordinary gift that is a true miracle, they tell us. Wayne's mom says somehow, just knowing that a part of our loved one still survives within another is somewhat of a comfort. At least it is to me. Now you can see pictures, you can read more about this story, lopa.org on our heroes page, and you can learn about other heroes as well. Thank you, Wayne, for the gift of life. Our question and answer segment. The question coming in today is Does organ and tissue donation cause any disfigurement to the donor? Well, Laurie, the organ recovery and tissue recovery uh, is a sterile procedure uh, wherein the body remains intact totally. So if one wanted to still have an open casket funeral, uh, they would still be able to do so. All right, good question. Good answer. You have more for us. You want to learn more? Info at lopa.org. Or call us at 504-648-3477. It's just that easy. Another episode of The Gifted Life in the Books. Yeah, Laurie, we definitely want to give a special thanks to Kirsten Heinz, our own Kirsten Heinz. Yay! And Amanda Hollowell, <laughs> as well as Brandy Ahansi. Uh, with AMAT and talking about, which is Association of Multicultural Affairs. All great, yeah. And talking about the ECHO campaign, as well as the National Minority Donor Awareness Week. A lot of efforts going on. Excellent information. Yeah, it was was. just power-packed, everybody working together to make life happen. I love 
when that happens. And we want you to join with us. You can. It's very simple. Um, info at lopa.org, 504-648-SALLY. 3477. Yes, now we got this hotline down. <laughs> yeah. We want you to join with us. You, we want you to help us make life happen. Go out today. Do something you don't normally do to make life happen. Have a great one. Mm-hmm.